a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. So this is how Liberty dies. With thunderous applause. There you go. That's how Liberty dies, to thunderous applause. Uh, So that's what we're going to talk about in this last segment, and that is the art of the political speech. Uh, I think it's becoming an endangered species. Uh, Most political addresses today have just completely unraveled. They've devolved from really critical conversations uh, with the country, uh, with its citizens, to very carefully orchestrated pep rallies and just political parties. So these speeches, they used to be about substance. They used to be used to measure a political speech by the the vision of of the particular candidate the the power of a of a really strong policy or some inspiring principle that they were able to present to the crowd uh, and that just seems to be just vanishing before our eyes uh they're they're sort of scored now like a uh like a kindergarten popularity contest the the winner gets determined by the number the length and the decibels of the applause lines and the applause lines are all predictable. You can you could put them in a can and change the name of uh, whoever the political person is, uh, and it wouldn't matter. Uh, they're all they're all almost exactly the same. And some are tilted to the left, and some are tilted to the right, and uh, some are to the base of of each of the parties. Uh, but none of them really get to the substance. Uh, State of the Union addresses. You you know if you've listened to this show at all that I have uh, real a whole host of pet peeves <laughs> around State of the Union. Uh, And and just consider this last year, last State of the Union address, uh, President Trump was interrupted with 53 standing ovations uh, that, of course, were led by the Republicans uh, from the House and the Senate. Uh, And so just compare that uh, just for a little uh, historics there. Uh, Eisenhower received uh, 57 ovations in his final State of the Union. Uh, John F. Kennedy, only 37. Uh, Bill Clinton, I think, holds the record 120 uh, applause lines. And then in, in a really odd twist, if you go all the way back to 1978, uh, Jimmy Carter's State of the Union uh, was noted. People started counting the number of members of Congress who were sleeping or yawning. Uh, so that's kind of how that one uh, devolved. Uh, but we, we've changed our political speech. It's become so narcissistic. Everything is about this need for approval. Uh, there's actually... Uh, I, I didn't realize this until about a year ago. Maybe it was two years ago. Uh, we we now actually have professors at universities who research and study clapping. Uh, now, just to be clear, I am not anti-clapping. Uh, I'm I'm pro-clapping. Uh, it can be a natural reaction, at, you know, an inspiring moment. You you break into spontaneous applause. That's all fine. 
but I reserve most of those uh, for sporting events. <laughs> is really the only time I, I tend to clap. And, uh, of course, I have also discovered, uh, mostly from my children, that when you get the slow clap, uh, that's actually not a positive thing. The slow clap is a negative thing. It's usually saying, Dad, you're, you're just a little off or you're a little outdated. Uh, and so, but people are studying these applause lines now. And the problem with the applause line, with the clapping, the standing ovation, is that they distract, uh, and today it seems like they do it on purpose, from the message, the real message uh, that you're trying to send. So uh, FDR delivered countless speeches, um, and they were rarely, if ever, interrupted by applause. Uh, There was not a single clap when he uttered the famous line that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Uh, At Gettysburg, uh, I think there were probably a lot more bowed heads than there were standing ovations during the Gettysburg Address. And I don't think anybody uh, probably started the wave during the Sermon on the Mount, just for a historical standpoint there. But there's, there's something about that kind of speech. There's something about a speech that isn't interrupted by perpetual applause lines. Uh, all of the chatter and the cheering, the clapping, uh, if you really force the listener to to engage fully, they start having a conversation in their mind with the speaker. And it totally changes the way the message is received and what is done with the message once it's received. And so the, the aha moments that you always want in a good speech uh, rarely come anymore. Uh, and so this is an interesting thing. Obviously, I've spent some time thinking about this and studying this and, and looking at uh, the craft of writing a speech. Professional speech writers really started to change our political speech uh, when technology started to evolve, when TV came, you know, being able to show and for people to hear the applause uh, was very different. We talked yesterday about the fact that Lincoln still did most of his communicating with the country uh, through the written word. So that was a whole different kind of uh, speech going out there. Uh, but the big sea change was uh, noted in 1958. Uh, and this was a, a really interesting observation from 1958. And it was about uh, Adelaide E. Stevenson, uh, who was just a, a master orator. Uh, but this is what they said uh, in the press. One of the drawbacks of the polished literate oratory of Adelaide Stevenson is a foremost master Uh, as a speaker, is that its effect is often reduced by applause breaking into the beautiful, rounded, balanced sentences and paragraphs which require uninterrupted delivery to drive home their point. Uh, So they were saying, look, you know, it's hard to listen to Adelaide Stevenson because you have to sit there and think. And so that's not good TV. And so they started to change the way they, they went about that. Uh, but I, I would say just as a great nod to Adlai Stevenson, uh, to no applause, he once said, let's talk sense to the American people. Let's tell them the truth, that there are no gains without pains, that we are now on the eve of great decisions, not easy decisions. What counts now is not just what we're against, but what we are for. Who leads us is less important than what leads us. What convictions, what courage, what faith? Uh, That's not an applause line, but that's a great line we all should read today. (laughs) We should all think about today, especially in the midst of this 2020 election campaign. 
We should be thinking about that, that it, who leads us is less important than what leads us. What convictions, what courage, what faith, what principles, uh, that's what really matters in the end. You see, great, great speeches require sustained effort and energy and focus by both the speaker and the listener. And so my problem with most of the political speeches and the political rallies today is all of these gratuitous applause lines and all the political posturing that goes with it prevent us from having the discussion we need to have as a country. If we're ever going to get to some serious thought about principles or policy, if we're ever going to get to truly transformational ideas in this country, uh, it's got to be different. We've got to trust the principles of freedom. Uh, we have to trust that the American people can listen and can think and can engage. Uh, to me, the best speeches don't need applause lines because they're, they're words quiet pause, a skilled turn of a phrase, a simple story, a few facts, uh, and a little crescendo of some really inspiring ideas, uh, that's, a, that's a bigger amen than a standing ovation ever could deliver. So as we watch the 2020 campaign roll along, let's, let's think about it. Uh, let's make sure we don't fall into the uh, Star Wars category that we allow liberty to die to thunderous applause and red meat political lines at campaign rallies uh, rather than what really matters. Because eventually all that raucous cheering is going to end, and then what's going to happen? Then we got to get down to the serious work of liberty and freedom. And it goes back to what Adelaide Stevenson said, what counts is not what we're against, but what we're for. Who leads us is less important than what leads us. What convictions, what courage, what faith, what principles? I'm Boyd Matheson, opinion editor at the Deseret News. Thanks for joining us on KSL News Radio's Inside Sources. And as always, as you go out into the world today, make sure you see something that inspires, say something that uplifts, and do something that makes a difference. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.